Okay, three parts uh, for us this morning. Um, just focusing mostly on the second part, but, but the three parts. So first, to wrap up the series that we've been doing here on the Kerygma, um, this 14-week this series, it's finally coming to an end today. Um, the, the next, to, to focus on the Holy Spirit and who exactly is the Holy Spirit? What, is that, what exactly are we celebrating today on Pentecost? And then third, to, to ask some questions that I think, um, I don't think, I, I know these questions would be worth our while to, to ask them, not just today, but actually to ask them regularly throughout our lives. Um, so first, just the, to wrap up the series, right? We've been doing this 14-week series on the kerygma, this, this Greek word that means proclamation. What is it that we're proclaiming? It's the gospel. It's, it's what God has done in the person of his son, Jesus, which is the heart of the Christian message. Uh, without Jesus, there is no Christianity. But with him, then suddenly we're talking about the most incredible of all stories. And the story is, is much more than just his life. In fact, we've seen, right, we gotta go all the way back to the beginning with God, who in the beginning, the uncreated one who creates everything that exists, right? Everything that exists, things that are visible and things that are invisible. And the highlight out of everything that he makes, his favorite creature is you and me, the human person made in his image and likeness, the one that he loves the most, the only one that he creates who's able actually to represent God on earth. And, and not just able, but meant to represent God on earth. But the thing is that God's plans for us is, is actually so much more lofty, so much more incredible than, than just being able to represent him. His plans for us, his goal for us is that we would be what we say divinized, that we would become like him to share in his own nature, which, which is just incredible. And if you don't think it's incredible, then you don't really understand who God is. You know, like, like he wants us to become like him. That's, that's how important you are to him, how important I am to him. It's, it's amazing. The bad news is that there's another creature, another creature who's more intelligent and smarter and more powerful than we are. And this creature knows about God's plans and he hates God's plans for us. He despises us. So he goes to war against us doing everything that he can to convince us that, that it's okay if we rebel against God because he knows that if we rebel against God, then we can't receive God's promises. We can't receive God's goals for our lives because we'll be separated from the only one who can make us like himself. So he, he deceives our first parents into thinking that they don't need God to be happy, into thinking that, that they don't need to follow God's commands, that, that somehow they can figure it out for themselves. They believe the deception and they rebel against the one command that God gave to them, which turns out sells the entire human race into captivity, into slavery, spiritually, to this creature, the devil. It's a tragic and terrible situation where now all of humanity finds itself not in God's possession, but in the possession of our enemy, the one who hates us and wants to use us and abuse us to steal, to kill, and to destroy, Jesus says. God sees this, of course, and he comes to our rescue. He sends his son Jesus to rescue us. Jesus comes to fight for us. He doesn't just come to teach us how to be nice to each other or, or you know, to show us an example of living. He does those things, sure, but, but more than anything, Jesus comes to earth to go to war against our captor. And he does this on the cross, which, which seems strange because we look at the cross and we see what seems to be a miserable, humiliating failure. But this is exactly what Jesus wants us and more importantly, wants the devil to think. Jesus comes, as we might say, like undercover or in disguise so that he dies on the cross. But in dying, he enters into Satan's kingdom of darkness and death. And from within, he reveals the light of his divinity, the life of his divinity, and he conquers and scatters the darkness. 
He defeats our enemy in a rout so that those who wish, those who choose, those who want to be rescued, all we have to do is claim allegiance to Jesus. And he sets us free from this kingdom of darkness and death and brings us back into the family where there's a good father and the rightful king reigns on the throne. This is the incredible good news of the gospel is that God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't just start over, but instead he fights for us every step of the way and he provides everything that we need so that we can be restored to his image and likeness. But that's not the end of the story. What we've been seeing throughout the Easter season is that we have to respond to this. We have a part to play in the story. And if we don't play our part, then the story is incomplete. And ultimately, the mission of Jesus can't be fulfilled in our lives, in my life and in yours. We have to respond. And so we've been asking this question, what's the only appropriate response to this? The only appropriate response ultimately is to surrender everything to Jesus, to give Jesus and his church authority over my life everything of my life, to, to, to hear him calling to me or to repent of my sins, to confess my sins, to, to turn away from them, and then to amend my life and to follow Jesus in discipleship, to be someone who's willing not to just be a member of the crowd that's sort of interested in Jesus, but to be someone who's willing to step out of the crowd, to bring every area of my life under his lordship, because he, after all, is the Lord of all. This is the appropriate response, the only appropriate response. And I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about how, how maybe it's possible, perhaps likely, that some of you, maybe many of you, when, when you were taught the story of, of Christianity, you weren't actually taught this last part of the kerygma very well. And so maybe for some of you, hearing me talking about this, and you're just like, I didn't know there were so many expectations. I, this, this, Father, that, that's not how things play out in real life. I, and, and maybe some of you are saying, like, Father, that's, that's too much. You know, you're, it sounds like you want, you want Jesus to be my whole life. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's exactly what it's meant to be. And again, this isn't my thoughts. These aren't my words. But so many of the things we've been talking about so clearly come from the Bible and from what the church has always taught. That Jesus is not just to be part of our life, but he is supposed to be our life, our entire life, to surrender everything to him. And until I surrender everything to him, I haven't completed it. And but something I was thinking about is like, yes, this is hard. And it's, it's actually more than hard. To live the Christian life appropriately is impossible. It's not actually possible. Why? Because you and I are still prone to sinfulness. You and I are still prone to selfishness. Some of us, we don't really resist it. Some of us, we just openly rebel against God constantly, even though we, we hear the call to conversion. Some of us, we try to put up a good fight. And, and, and maybe in some ways we do, but, but without help from God, it's impossible to live the Christian life. And so we actually need help from God, and God knows this. And so this is exactly what he gives to us today on the day of Pentecost. This is what we're celebrating, is the day that God sees humanity trying to respond to him, seeing the struggle of humanity trying to respond to him, and he provides his aid, his help, so that humanity can respond appropriately. This is what we're talking about. So we want to talk about who exactly is the Holy Spirit and how is it that the Holy Spirit helps us. So to do that, we're going to look at our readings. So I actually, I know some of you follow along with the readings in the Missalette, and that's great. I invite you to, to open up your Missalettes uh, to page 41. We're going to, we're going to look at each of the readings to just look at a couple of lines from each reading and then to talk about what exactly is going on. So first, to look at who is the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at the first reading. And then how does the Holy Spirit help us? We'll eventually look at the gospel passage and at the second reading. But first, who is the Holy Spirit? So if you open up to page 41, the first paragraph of this first reading, if you go like three lines down all the way towards the right-hand side of the page, there's a sentence that says, Then there appeared to them 
tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So whoever the Holy Spirit is, he appears to them to be fire. Right, which if you really think about this, like sitting in that moment, that must, it must have been kind of scary actually in some ways, right? Because like there's a strong driving wind, you know, and, and we live in a very a place where there's lots of wind all the time, but sometimes the wind gets really, really strong, right? And your, your house starts to creak or shake, right? And there's something like, oh man, what's gonna happen? But then what, what's more, fire starts to fall from the ceiling and it lands on top of you. You can imagine this was something of a terrifying thing because, right, you don't, you don't touch fire. You might put your hand close to fire, but you don't touch fire because it's going to burn you. It's going it's to try to consume whatever it is, is that is touching it. Like, this is what fire is. So in so many ways, whatever, whatever the Lord is giving to them, this fire, it's something powerful. It's something powerful that, that is meant to cause a stir in their life. But what's more, we can actually know, like one of the cool things for us as Catholic Christians is that we're not just a New Testament kind of people. That for us as Catholic Christians, yes, of course we love and, and, and revere the New Testament because it's the Word of God. But also the Old Testament is the Word of God and we love and revere the Old Testament as well. So we can go back to the Old Testament and we can actually see something really cool. Way back in the book of Exodus, when, when Moses had led the people out of Egypt, they're, they're wandering in the desert and they're just kind of wandering and, and, and aimless. The Lord calls to Moses and he says to Moses that he's going to reveal himself to him and that he's going to give him the Ten Commandments. So that if they keep the Ten Commandments, they can maintain like a good relationship with God. So Moses, in chapter 19, he goes up on Mount Sinai. In chapter 19, verse 18, it says that Mount Sinai was all wrapped in smoke for the Lord, right? The Lord, this is God, came down upon it in fire. So God reveals himself in the Old Testament to be fire. Now we have the Holy Spirit revealing himself to be what? Fire. And in between, in the Gospel of Luke, we hear Jesus say in chapter 12, he says, I came to set the earth on fire. In fact, if you've ever seen an image of the sacred heart of Jesus, uh, is, is this, this prayer card or other images, right? What, what jumps out to you the most? To me, what jumps out the most is the flame of fire that comes from the top of Jesus' heart. So, so what's going on here, right? So God in the Old Testament is fire. Jesus, who we believe, is God talks about how he came to set the earth on fire. And now the Holy Spirit comes as fire. Who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, a divine person. So when God wants to give his church help or aid, he's not just giving some thing. He's giving his very self, divine help, the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God. In fact, the letter to the Hebrews says that our God is a consuming fire. This is who God gives to us. Fire, that fire comes down to dwell among the church and among her members. Th this, is, this is incredible. Now, how, how is it that that fire empowers us, right? Where does the power from the fire of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, come into our lives? And this comes in, in two ways that I want to look at specifically uh, this morning. So, so to that, look at the gospel passage on page 43. So the gospel passage, what happens? This is the resurrection. We heard this way back on the second Sunday of Easter, Divine Mercy Sunday. Jesus has been crucified, right? He died. They, they, they put him in the tomb. And then he rises from the dead and he appears to them. And he came, the doors were locked and he appeared before them anyway. They're rejoicing and he shows them his wounds. And then he says what? On the, the fourth line from the bottom, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we've talked about this, right? This is Jesus giving his authority over to his church so that when his church teaches and preaches, when his church forgives sins and casts out demons, it's Jesus who does those things. But then he goes on. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. I was thinking about this. What is a sin? A sin is an offense against God. So he's giving them the ability to forgive sins on God's behalf. This is something like, if you think about it, I can't forgive sins on anybody's behalf but my own. Right? Like, I, I, I couldn't stand up here and just say, you know, on, on Ray's behalf, I just want to say that, that I forgive you for all these things. And Ray's sitting there like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Like, you don't know what these people have done against me, right? Like, I can't forgive sins on anybody's behalf except my own. But here, Jesus is telling them that they can forgive sins not on each other's behalf, but on God's behalf. God who is infinitely above them. How, how is it that they can do that? Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is it that we learn? How does the, how does the Holy Spirit empower the church? Through the sacraments. The Holy Spirit is present in the sacraments. And in fact, if the Holy Spirit was not present in the sacraments, the sac nothing would happen. If the Holy Spirit wasn't present in the sacraments, the bread and the wine wouldn't change into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. They would remain bread and wine. If the Holy Spirit wasn't present in, in the church's ministry in the sacrament of reconciliation, people's sins wouldn't be forgiven. If the Holy Spirit wasn't present in, in, this, in the sacrament of baptism, someone wouldn't actually be baptized and have their soul changed but instead they just get wet, right? Like this is the thing, without the Holy Spirit, the sacraments are pointless and worthless, but with the Holy Spirit, they actually do what we teach that they do. This is something that's incredibly powerful. Do you know this, that, that when you come forward, anytime you receive one of the sacraments that the church offers, you're not just receiving some symbolic thing, but you're receiving power from God. If that doesn't like make you excited, it just means you don't understand the sacraments. And, and sure, maybe there's a time when we have to explain the sacraments. And, and I know there's going to be a time because I spend so much of my time just begging you to love the sacraments. And for some reason, some of you just keep resisting, right? I, so I know that maybe we need to have a deeper teaching. But at the same time, maybe, maybe this morning we can just ask the Holy Spirit to, to do something inside of us, to, to cause a stir in our hearts, to help us understand that, that the power we receive in the sacraments is, is not empty and it's, it's not meaningless, but instead it's, it's the very power of God himself. That, that what I receive when I come to Mass or when I go to confession, what I received when I was baptized or confirmed, what I received when I was ordained a priest or when you, were, when you were received the sacrament of marriage or, or what you're going to receive on your deathbed before you die, the sacrament of anointing, that is, that's not just some empty ritual, but that is like the power of God, which is a more incredible gift than, than any of us could actually offer each other. But because of the Holy Spirit, it can be given to you. It's incredible. And that's not the only thing. I mean, that in itself is amazing enough. But then look at the second reading. We see that, that actually the Holy Spirit is present in each and every Christian disciple. Notice what St. Paul says in the very first line of the second reading. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This question I've been asking you over and over and over again during the Easter season, have you surrendered your life to Jesus yet? to Jesus and his church. If you've ever been brought to a place of surrendering everything to him, either during this series or, or at another point in your life, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is present in your life because Paul says nobody can actually bring him or herself under the lordship of Jesus. Nobody can be a disciple except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, that means you have the Holy Spirit living within you, his power. And if you're not a disciple, that means you're missing something. You're missing the Holy Spirit, the power of God. But, but there's actually more to it. So look at the, the second uh, little paragraph here of our reading, the very last line. He says, to each individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit. So to each person, this, this point is so important. 
It's so important, something we don't really talk about very much. But to each individual, the manifestation, in other words, a gift of the Holy Spirit is given to each of you for some benefit. Another translation might say for the common good. So, so this is something that you, you have to understand this, that the Holy Spirit has given you spiritual gifts. You've been empowered by God for the common good. In other words, to use those gifts for the benefit of the people around you. And, and what most specifically is that benefit? It's so that they can come to know God's glory and salvation. This is why you exist. This is why God has called you to be a Christian. It's not that you were born into it. It's not that this is how you were raised. God has called you and given you gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can make his presence known, so that you can make his salvation known in Grigla or wherever you live. This is why you exist. Do you know that? And this, this is the thing that, that I've, just been, I've been thinking about more and more and more, right? Is, is this, right? We have a part to play. And if we don't play our part, then the story is incomplete. And that part is to let Jesus reach through our lives into the lives of other people. Jesus wants to use you, and he wants to use the gifts that he's given to you so that more people can come to know God's salvation. And this is, this is where we can start to ask ourselves some questions. Like just to be curious, what if it was the case that each member of our parishes focused mainly on this? What if each member of our parishes said, you know, I've got, I've got different things going on in my life, but Jesus invites me into his mission to save people's souls from eternal damnation. I can't think of anything that's more worthwhile than that. And so what if it was the case that each of you just decided, you know what, my main focus from now on, sure, I've got to work and I've got to do my job, or, you know, I've got, a, I've got a family to be with, you know, whatever, but my main focus right now is to simply ask the question, what are the gifts that God's given me? And how can I use those gifts to reach into the lives of other people so that they can know God's goodness, so that they can know God's salvation? What if that was your main focus? Do you think it would change things? Like, do you understand this? Do you know your gifts? He's given you gifts. Nobody goes without receiving gifts. You've received gifts. Do you know them? Are you using them for the glory of God? Are you using them to save people from eternal damnation? You know, just think for a minute about when you die and you stand before Jesus, Jesus who will judge you. He will judge you by the standards of the gospel. Imagine standing before him and just saying, Jesus, I know that I've struggled and I know that I, I sometimes fail to put up a fight, but I tried. And, and what's more, Jesus? I brought these people with me. These people who are on their way to hell, I used the gifts that you gave me and I brought these people with me. The Bible tells us that the one who brings a sinner back from his sinful ways will save his soul and cancel a multitude of sins. This is your part to play. Do you know the gifts that you have? And, and are you willing to be creative about them? You know, sometimes, sometimes people might say like, okay, I want to find my gifts, but, but it's got to fit within the box of this is how we've always done it. You know, how many times do you hear this? Well, we've always done it this way, so we can't do anything different. No, we've talked about this. How have the last 50 or 60 years gone in the church? Terribly. How have the last 50 or 60 years gone in the church in Grigla? Pretty poorly. 
Now, I know there's some of you who have been coming to Mass much longer than I've been alive, and I don't, I don't want to diminish your faith. But just take a minute and look at all the empty space. The Lord doesn't want this empty space. In fact, He wants it to be filled up. And so the thing is that we got to be willing to be creative about using these gifts. And I'm, I'm not trying to like come down on any of you for that. Like I know that, again, I've, I've mentioned this before. I know that sometimes it can seem like I do. That's not the point. The point is to just simply tell you or to remind you maybe about the incredible invitation that Jesus has offered to you to share in his mission, to share in the, the mission of salvation, of saving souls so that maybe someday you could look at the church, you could look at the church and see one, two, three, four, five people that are here because the Lord has worked through you to save them. Just consider the incredible gift, the incredible opportunity. It's like an offer, opportunity of a lifetime, an adventure of a lifetime. But if it doesn't begin with you simply being curious and asking the Holy Spirit to just say, you know what? What do I have to give? What, what have you given me? And then you take an assessment of, of your, your time, your energy, your talents, your money, like whatever it is, like you just take an assessment and you just say, whatever I have for the sake of the mission to bring glory to God and salvation to souls, I'm ready to pour that out and to let that be the main focus of my life because this is why I exist. Because at the end of my life, it's not going to matter how much money I earned. It's not going to matter how successful I am or my kids are in a worldly sense. All that's going to matter is whether I lived for the purpose that God made for me and you. That's all that's going to matter. And so why not live that way? At the bottom of, of, of the clergy column in the bulletin, I put, I put some scripture passages that a person could read to see some examples where St. Paul writes about possible gifts that people have been given. You might read those and say, you know what? I think some of these gifts are, are part of my life. You might also read them and say, I don't know that I fit within these. And that's fine. The, the purpose here is to be curious about, okay, then fine. What gifts has the Lord given to you? And how does he want you to use them to fill up this church, to fill up the kingdom of heaven? Because this, this, is, the, this is the gospel. To recognize the incredible gift of the salvation that Jesus offers to us and then to share that salvation with the people, the world around us.